So what is one word that you would use to describe Jesus? If you had to boil Jesus down to just one word, what would it be? I will tell you mine today, and, uh, and you can tell me yours. You can be thinking on it if you want, and uh, put it in the comments if you want to, or, or send an email. There's no wrong answer to this question. Well, there, there could be some wrong answers, but, but, but I just want to know. What is one word that comes to mind when you think about Jesus? Here's a second question. What might happen if you came face to face with Jesus? We see in the Gospels story after story of people meeting Jesus. Some get mad. Some fall to their knees. Some adore him. Some nailed him to a cross. What would your reaction be? We're going to study a couple of peoples who had a visitation from God here at the end of Ezekiel 28. And that's where we'll start today, but it's going to take us on a journey to a few other passages as well. And if you listen to the end of today's lesson, we'll eventually get to my favorite chapter in the entire Bible, John chapter 18. Why is John 18 so cool? Well, when you find out, it'll knock you off your feet. Hear it all today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. This is Luke Taylor, and I'm going to change my intro a little bit. I'm going to try changing around a few things on the podcast, I think. I just don't want to be that kind of person who gets into a rut. Like, I want to always keep trying new things, experimenting, freshening things up, and and then, you know, keep what's working, but drop what isn't. So usually at the beginning of a podcast, I will say, Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's word will make more sense to you after every episode. I'm thinking I might drop that bit, and I just think it's kind of broad. You know, like it's this is just a podcast for any old Christian out there. And the truth is, when you make something for everybody, it kind of becomes for nobody. So I'm going to try to rework my intro a little bit, and uh, here's what I'd like to say. This is a podcast for people who want to take their Bible study one level deeper. Okay, not just get the surface level, I read my Bible, I can check it off my checklist now. Not that type of Bible reading. This is for people who want to linger on a passage a little bit and and maybe pull a few things out, really just kind of wring it out like a sponge, pull a lot of things out if we can, but but you want to do that before you move on. And so I'm going to work on a shorter way to phrase that, (laughs) but but there you go. That's, That's what this podcast is for. And so here on this podcast, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, we started the book of Ezekiel. And I I don't know if you can remember this, but four score and seven years ago, I started into chapter 28. (laughs) So this chapter taught us a a lot of things about the spiritual realm, about the devil. I mean, we just spent four or five episodes discussing Satan. And so I'm ready to change the subject. But but you know what? We, We actually haven't even finished this chapter of Ezekiel 28. We will do that finally today. So as we get back into Ezekiel, let me remind you about uh, some boring book outline stuff, okay? I know outline stuff is is boring. And so when I start talking about outlines, you're going to want to tune me out because it's boring. But I have a reason that I'm bringing it up here. Chapter 28 is in a larger section of Ezekiel that goes from chapters 25 through 32. This section 
are the judgments against the Gentile nations. Earlier, I talked about this as seven letters to seven nations. Okay, I was kind of calling it that because it's like a dark mirror of the Revelation, seven letters, seven letters to seven churches. These are seven letters to seven nations, and we've gone through five of them so far. During that fifth one, it was tired, and we got a little sidetracked into this study of the devil. But we're going to get back into it today with the sixth one. This is the prophecy against Sidon. So in Ezekiel 28, starting at verse 20, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Sidon and prophesy against her and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute my judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And for the house of Israel, there shall no more be a briar or a prick or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So this is talking here about Sidon. Sidon is an ancient city that's commonly associated with Tyre. And that was a nation that we spent several lessons talking about before. Well, Sidon was the capital or the main city of this ancient people group. They were called the Phoenicians. And what did Sidon do specifically to incur God's wrath? Like, why is it one of these seven Gentile nations that Ezekiel is pronouncing judgment against? Frankly, we don't really know. It's like, it's not, it's not specific in Ezekiel. I'd say the best guess we have is that they opposed Babylon. And that might sound a little strange. You're like, what's wrong with opposing Babylon? You know, one of the interesting vibes of some of the prophets um, is that you shouldn't fight back against Babylon. Like, that's what Jeremiah was telling him. That's what Ezekiel's telling him. He, Ezekiel's been saying, God is allowing Babylon to conquer you. So don't even resist it. Just, just surrender. It'll go better for you if you just surrender. And, and there's a cross-reference here, Jeremiah 27.3. In that chapter, there's a few nations who are discussing an alliance against Babylon, and one of them is Sidon. And so maybe that's why God is calling them out here. You know, but again, I, we're just not sure. It doesn't get specific about their sins. But there is one very interesting line that was shared right here. If you're a Bible underliner, I'm going to encourage you to, to underline this line, because as I was studying it, it just jumped right off the page at me. Okay, and as I studied the passage more, I started to understand why. So underline a line at the end of verse 22. God says he will manifest his holiness in her, in Sidon. The flavor of this passage is very gloomy. You know, it said blood in the streets, the slain shall fall. But in the midst of all that, God says he will manifest his holiness in Sidon. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, God is holy. God is going to visit Sidon and manifest his holiness there. I mean, that sounds kind of nice, right? Holiness is a good thing, except it's not going to be good for Sidon. There's going to be blood in the streets. So what's that all about? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 25. Thus says the Lord God, when I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations. There's that line again. Manifest my holiness. But this time he's talking about doing it in Israel. So underline it again right there in verse 25. Manifest 
my holiness. Right here, this is the first time it's gotten back to Israel in like four chapters. Okay, so let's keep going. Then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob, and they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. So these two verses, they end up being a nice little oracle that's directed toward Israel. And they put it right here in the midst of a bunch of judgments that are being pronounced against Gentile nations. It's, I mean, when I say it's in the middle, it's literally right in the middle of all of it. Okay. So here's where all that boring outline stuff that I was talking about before, here's where it gets a little bit less boring because this is pretty interesting. Chapters 25 through 32, these are eight chapters and they feature oracles of judgment against the seven Gentile nations. And we went through Ammon, Moab, Edom. Philistia, Tyre. We, now we're in Sidon. Next time we'll talk about Egypt. So we have covered six of them in four chapters. The other four chapters are all about just Egypt. Okay. But right here at the end of chapter 28, this is the midpoint of that section. There's four chapters on one side and there's four chapters on the other side. But right here in the middle of it, God includes these two little verses that actually speak quite positively toward Israel. It is, I mean, literally, it is so literally in the middle. There are 97 verses on one side of it and 97 verses on the other side of it. So this is right in the middle, right in between all this judgment, all this judgment that God's talking about on the Gentiles, right in the middle of it are two verses of blessing to Israel. If you've studied Old Testament narrative structure, you might have no, you might notice something interesting. God likes to put the most important part in the middle. Um, look up the chiastic structure if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's all over the place in the Old Testament. The most important part's always right in the middle. What is going on in the middle here in these last two verses of Ezekiel 28? Well, we see this same phrase again. It says, I am going to manifest my holiness within you. Well, that was bad whenever God said it to Sidon. But it turns out to be very good when God says it to Israel. When God's talking to his covenant people, then it's going to be a very good thing. They're going to dwell securely in their land again. Their enemies are going to be destroyed. Israel's going to be restored. So what is the lesson here? Okay, what's the lesson here? Here's the key point for today. God's holiness can be a very good thing or a very bad thing. And that depends entirely on you. It depends on where you are at with God. We don't know exactly what Sidon did that was so wrong. And I guess it doesn't matter. You know, if it, if it was important for us to know, then God could have told us. But here's what we can safely say. Sidon was not right with God. And so God's holiness, when it visited them, that was not going to be good for Sidon. Because whenever you come face to face with God, if you aren't right with God, it's not going to go good for you. Now, what about Israel? You know, most of this book has been negative toward Israel, but now they've been punished for it. They've been held accountable. Israel is going to repent. They're going to recognize the error of their ways. It's a little too late. Like they've already lost their city, but they are going to repent. And God's going to regather them back into their midst. And Israel is going to be right with God again. And so then whenever God's holiness visits Israel, then they will be blessed. It's going to be, it's going to be a very good thing 
for a forgiven and redeemed Israel to be in the presence of God. And this is what it means to come into contact with the presence of God. If you are right with God, it is a very good thing. If you're not right with God, it's a very bad thing. That's why a Christian can go to church and the Christian can have a great time singing praises to God, honoring God's presence. And when God's presence is honored, he shows up. And that is a manifestation of God's presence. And, and when God is present, you move from the natural to the supernatural. Miracles can happen. People get healed. But even more importantly than that, God is there. God is there because he is being revered. But an unsaved person could go into that same church service, that same atmosphere, and they might become very uncomfortable. You see, a sinner is not comfortable in God's presence. Okay, there's going to be something churning in their stomach when they're, when they're hearing about God's holiness. That's, and that's, again, that's a manifestation of holiness right there. But they're not going to be comfortable with it. They're going to feel conviction of sin. They're going to be, you know, looking for the exit, wanting to get out. When God's holiness manifests, there is going to be an effect. But whether it's a good effect or a bad effect depends entirely on you, on your heart on how you respond to it. If you're right with God, God's holiness brings a blessing. If you're not right with God, it can actually bring a curse. And we're not done with this concept yet. We're going to dig into it a little bit more today, right after this. Next time on this podcast, we're going to continue in the book of Ezekiel by finally getting to chapter 29. Okay, that music that you just heard, that was our end of chapter music. I haven't been able to play it all year long, but we finally did it. We finally finished a chapter. And so next time, we're going to see what God has to say to Egypt starting in chapter 29. Make sure you're subscribed so you can get it whenever it arrives. But I'm just going to, I'll tell you, it's going to be a few weeks. The reason being, I need to take a few weeks off from the podcast. Um, I got some family stuff going on that's just going to keep me busy for the next week or so. And I kind of need to get caught up. I'm releasing this episode on February 12th. I'm recording it right now on February 11th. So I'm like, I am just right up to the wire on this one, guys. <laughs> and so I need to I need to take a few weeks and kind of um, get some extra study time done and all that. And so because I want these I want these episodes to come out after I've really had time to to, to marinate in them. And I haven't had that opportunity because ever since I got sick at Christmas, I've just been trying to catch up with myself and, um, I, I, I hate rushing the episodes out. So I hope this one doesn't come out as a bit of a mess. Uh, but I I'll go ahead and get this one out. And then I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to need two or three weeks off to kind of catch up on things. Uh, but I will be back either at the end of February, beginning of March. I'll be back soon with Ezekiel chapter 29. Hey, here's something else. If you if you start to miss the sound of my voice, <laughs> here's something else you could do in the meantime. Go subscribe to the Something to Not On podcast by Nate Vinio. So Nate is a brother in Christ who's got a, he lives close to me, actually. He just lives, lives about 20, 30 minutes away, but he does a Bible study podcast and it's called Something to Not On. And he actually, it was really an honor. He, he invited me to record an interview with him about the book of Ezekiel. And I'm like, well, hey, that's, uh, <laughs> that's something I know a thing or two about. 
So I was, it, it, you know what? It turned it, it ended up being a blast. I had such a pleasant, really a lot of fun conversation with him. We ended up speaking for about 90 minutes. So he's going to break that interview up and run it on his podcast sometime in the next few weeks, I think. So go, go listen to that podcast, Something to Gnaw On, and you can go subscribe to that and hear that interview that I did with Brother Nate. Um, but anyway, I'll be back in the next few weeks and, uh, and we'll get into Ezekiel 29. By the way, the email, if you need to get in touch with me, it's crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. What would happen to you if you came to stand in God's holiness? If God was literally right before you, what would you do? Earlier I asked, what is one word that you'd use to describe Jesus? I'm going to give you mine now. When I think about Jesus, I think about the word fierce. I like the word fierce because there's something kind of vaguely threatening about it, you know? And God is a bit threatening. Like, let's just be honest here. God is holy. God is majestic. God is pure. And all of that is great if you're also pure. But I know that I'm not. I have a lot of impurities in my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm saved, but I am far from perfect. God has a lot of work to do on me. And yet, I, I want to see Jesus. You know, I want to meet this holy and fierce Jesus. I, I think of Jesus as fierce because fierce can mean a lot of different things. Fierce is, if you look in the dictionary, the first definition you're going to see is powerful and destructive. And, and that doesn't sound too good. But fierce's second definition is heartfelt and powerful intensity. Now, that sounds like it can be good. You know, it, it just depends on whether the fierceness is on your side or not. And, and so fierce sounds kind of like holiness, right? You know, if God is going to manifest his holiness, it could either be very good or it can be very bad. Everything that Jesus did was fierce. He was fierce in anger. He was fierce in judging sin. But he was also fierce in loving people. You know, Jesus just never did anything casual. He was always purposeful. Jesus was determined. Jesus was powerful. Jesus was fierce. My favorite story about the ferocity of Jesus, and it's actually my favorite story in the whole Bible, it is John 18. This is when they come to arrest Jesus. It says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came into the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So the first thing I want you to notice Jesus, he knows what's about to come next. He knows he is about to be put through the, the worst execution that any human being in history has ever had to go through. And knowing what comes next, he's not running away. He's, he's praying about it. He goes to a garden and prays about it. And then Judas comes along and he's got this detachment of soldiers. Um, the other gospels tell us how many it was altogether. It says there were 600 men. There were 500 who were regular soldiers. And there were 100 who were the elite special forces of Roman soldiers, okay? Like the, the SWAT team or like the Navy SEALs of Roman soldiers. 
He brings 600 men to come arrest Jesus. Okay? One guy who is in a garden, who's praying. He's not stocking up on weapons, okay? He's not stockpiling guns and ammo. He's not leading some kind of violent revolution. He's standing in a garden, and he's praying. And 600 guys come along to arrest him. It says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Look there at verse 5, because this is something I bet you've never picked up on this before. That when they came to arrest Jesus and he said that, it said, they drew back and fell to the ground. They were flattened (laughs) just to stand before Jesus. He says, I am he. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Those words coming out of Jesus's mouth, they were knocked off their feet. What activated it? What was it about what Jesus said? Okay, here's what Jesus actually said. They said they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He actually replies, I am. Your Bible says, I am he. But I want you to notice something. Here's a little Bible study tip. Notice something about the word he. It's italicized. You ever notice some words are italicized as you're reading through your Bible? And the reason for that is that it means it's a word that was not in the original language. If it was in Greek or if it was in Hebrew, sometimes when you're translating something from one word to another, one language to another, sometimes what you have to do is add a few words to kind of like make it make more sense in the language that you're translating it to. Sometimes the way you phrase something in one language might not be exactly how you phrase it in another language. And so you see this in the Bible sometimes, but the interpreters... Uh, the, the translators, they want us to know whenever they had to do that. And so what they do is they italicize some words, and that means it wasn't in the original manuscript. They just kind of included it because they were trying to make the sentence flow a little bit better with modern English. But I wish they had left out the he because it, you don't need it there. Here's what Jesus actually said. They said, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am. Jesus said, and it's telling us when Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. All Jesus said was, ego am I. That was the Greek. I am. It's often said that there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. The I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. You know, you have all these in the Gospel of John. There's actually eight guys. They always leave out this one. And this is the best one. He's just saying, I am. What is it that God told Moses when he appeared in the burning bush? Moses said, who are you? And God said, I am. I am that I am. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. Jesus says, I am. And when he said it, it's like the spirit of God was released from him right then. It flattened these soldiers. 600 men. Boom, they hit the ground. This is what we Pentecostals call it whenever you're slain in the spirit. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you know what? 
All he did was he said it, he released the spirit, and it's like the strength left their bodies. All of a sudden, they're all on the ground. They're probably thinking, what just happened? Jesus was powerful. Jesus' words were powerful. Jesus spoke. Things happen. Jesus says, I am. And 600 soldiers, 600 Roman soldiers, including 100 Roman Navy SEALs, they're knocked off their feet. Jesus was making a bit of a point right here, right? (laughs) I think he's saying to them, think about what you're doing. Do do you realize where you're about to put your hands? You know, he's, he's like, who are you looking for? He's saying, let's just be clear here. He asked them twice. Who is it that you're looking for? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. You're here for me. You're about to put your hands on a holy God. So these men come into the presence of God, and I I would not say that they were blessed (laughs) by this manifestation of God's holiness. These guys were knocked on their butts. And all Jesus said was two words. Look at how powerful Jesus is. He can say two words, and they fall to the ground. I wonder what's going through their heads while they're laying there. When you come into God's presence, it can be a very good thing or a very bad thing. I think about that story in 1 Samuel, when the Ark of the Covenant, it was stolen from Israel, and Israel had taken it into battle because they thought, you know, this is going to bless us, this is going to bring us good luck. But they weren't right with God. And so they lost the battle, and they lost the Ark. And when the high priest heard that the Ark was taken, he's like, oh no, we lost the presence of God. He fell over and died right there. Now, the Philistines took the Ark, and they weren't right with God either. And so having the Ark of the Covenant... That, that they brought it back to their city and it wasn't so good for them. It brought a curse to them. Uh, the, the, the King James puts it this way. They got amrods in their secret parts. All right, I'll let you use your imagination if you want to track down what that was. But here's what I can tell you. They didn't want amrods in their secret parts. But that's too bad because you know what? They stole the ark. And so they had the presence of God in their midst and they were sinners. So it brought a curse. Because you can't stand in God's presence and have an encounter with God's holiness if you're not right with God. It'll go very, very bad for you. So if you remember what they did, they stuck it on a cart and they sent it back to Israel. And eventually it ends up at the house of Obed-Edom. The Bible says, And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. You see, Obed-Edom was right with God. And so when God's holiness came to his house, it brought a blessing. I'm sure he was sorry to see it go a few months later. When God's presence, when you come into God's presence, it can be a very good thing or it can be a very bad thing. Isaiah 6, Isaiah got to go into God's presence. It said the prophet Isaiah was allowed to see God in a vision And he saw the angels flying around God. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Now, here's something kind of interesting about Hebrew. Hebrew doesn't have this this word very. You know, whenever we say something is very good or very bad, they don't have that word in Hebrew or they don't say it that way. They just repeat the same word twice. And that's how they emphasize something. Okay, so if you were to say someone is happy, If they were extremely happy, you say they are happy, happy. 
You don't say very happy. You say happy, happy. I actually have a story I could use to illustrate this. Uh, my wife and I are married for 12 years this month. Uh, this month is our wedding anniversary. So actually, we were married on February 29th, Leap Day. So it's actually kind of our third anniversary. Another way you could look at it is that this is our 12th anniversary. So whatever you want to make of that. But we got our anniversary coming up in a few weeks. And um, I remember whenever we were dating, my wife really liked Oreos. And I, guess, I mean, I guess she actually probably still does. But she liked them so much, she actually put them on our wedding registry. And we got them. Well, she got them, okay? Because she put them on there, so they were really her Oreos. I have a whole story about that I can tell you, but I'm not going to get into it this time. So uh, if I stole one of my wife's Oreos, she might be mad, okay? But if I take the very last Oreo in the package, then she would be mad mad. Okay, <laughs> do you see how that works? That, that kind of gives you a little idea of how the Hebrew works, too. When you want to emphasize something, you say it twice. Isaiah 6 is the only place in Hebrew where they use the same word three times in a row. It's right here. God is holy, holy, holy. Now, let's get back to Jesus, our holy, fierce king. He is praying in a garden. He's waiting for his executioners to show up. He said two words to them whenever they did. Boom, they are flattened. Jesus is like, do you know where you're about to put your hands? You are about to arrest a holy, holy, holy God. Jesus says in a few hours after this story, he's like, if I wanted to, I could call down 12 legions of angels to save me. Now, a legion of angels, that would be 6,000 angels. Okay, and Jesus called down 12 sets of those. 6,000 times 12 is 72,000. So Jesus is looking at this crowd of 600 men who have come to arrest him. He's like, hey guys, just so you know, I could call down 72,000 angels and they're going to slaughter all of you and I'm going to get out of this scot-free. He can do that if he wants to. He can say two words and 600 men fall to the ground. That is what it means when you come after a holy, holy, holy God. God is so holy, he is incompatible with sin. God can't just let anyone walk into his presence. He can't just let anyone walk into his midst. Because people have sin. God and sin cannot mix. God is like a bug zapper. Sinful people are like bugs. If you come to God and you have sin in your life, it is not going to go good for you. You're going to be fried. The only way you can approach God is if you take care of the sin problem. When Isaiah saw God, he fell down. He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Does that mean Isaiah had a cussing problem? Probably not. I think he just knew he had a sin problem. And that's what, when he comes into the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, all of a sudden, he's like, oh no, there's some things in my life that are not right. God is incompatible with sin. And this Jesus, who these men are going to try to arrest, he is not just holy. He is a holy, holy, holy God. He can call down 12 legions of angels to protect him. And if you could get past the angels, then you're standing in the holiness of God, a God who can say two words and 600 men are flattened. You're not going to last very long against him either. But Jesus didn't call down a single angel 
to save him. This is the greatest act of love in history, guys. Jesus is going to submit to this. He's going to allow them to lead him away. He's going to allow them to kill them, to kill him, because he was going to die for our sins. He was choosing to do that. This was a conscious choice. He's making sure they know it, that they know who they're dealing with. And he says, I'm going to submit to this so that mankind can be saved. So that this sin problem that they have when they come into the presence of a holy God, that it can be taken care of. Now, he does one more thing first. It says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus. Another thing you hear about the book of John is you'll hear people say that there are seven miracles in the Gospel of John. That's actually not accurate. There's an eighth miracle right here. It never gets added to the list. But what did he do? He healed the guy right there. Because Peter woke up. <laughs> he, was, you know, he was invited to the prayer meeting that Jesus had too. And they kept nodding off. And all of a sudden, Peter wakes up and he sees 600 guys all around laying on the ground. And he's like, oh, I guess Jesus needs some help. (laughs) So he draws his sword. He swings at one of them and cuts off his ear. I've heard it said that Peter was either the best swordsman in the world or the worst swordsman in the world. And he's probably the worst swordsman because if you look around and you see 600 soldiers coming to arrest you and you decide you're going to fight back against them, you probably shouldn't be going for ears. <laughs> That's probably not <laughs> going to bring you success in this battle. He totally misses, thankfully. It just cuts off the guy's ear. And Jesus is like, Peter, no, put that thing away. Because Jesus didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bear judgment. He didn't come to swing the sword. He came so that the whips and the thorns and the nails would come down on him. And the last miracle that he does before he died was that he healed the ear of one of the men who came to arrest him. Do you see what I mean when I say Jesus is fierce? Yes, he's fierce in anger. Yes, he's fierce about sin. But he's also fierce in love. Nobody in the Bible who came into God's presence was able to stand because they had a sin problem. Ezekiel meets God at the beginning of this book. He falls over as dead. Daniel meets God. He completely collapses. God, if he's even speaking to you through through a burning bush, he's like, yank your shoes off. Even the ground that you're standing on is holy. You can't stand in God's presence and just get away with it if you got a sin problem. Remember that song? uh, I think it's called, I Can Only Imagine. And it says, "Will, will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? What are you going to do whenever you stand in God's presence someday? Well, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what you will do, but I want you to know what you can do. You can stand. You can stand whenever you meet God. Now, why is that? Because your sin problem has been taken care of. Your sin problem can be taken away. 
And it's because of what Jesus did. Right here in this story. He went away and died for our sins. And so now our sin problem can be taken care of. And because of what he did, when you meet God someday, you will be able to stand. Do you know Jesus today? Someday you will. Someday every person who has ever lived will stand before him. This is just a fact of of life, of the universe. It's unavoidable. You are going to meet Jesus. You are going to stand before the holiness of God. And what is that going to mean for you? Well, that can either be a very good thing or it can be a very bad thing. Philippians says it this way, every knee shall bow. But here's the good news. You can bow that knee today. And then it's going to go a lot better for you whenever you meet Jesus face to face. If you haven't done that, pause this podcast right now. Talk to him. It is not too late. If you're still sucking air, it is not too late to know this holy, fierce Jesus. One more reason I like the word fierce is it makes me think of a lion. You know, it's a word that just goes really well with thinking about lions. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In fact, when C.S. Lewis wrote his series, The Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with that, you might know that there's a Christ figure in those books and he's a lion. His name is Aslan. There's this lion in all the stories. And there's a passage in one of the books. I'm thinking it's uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And Lucy is concerned whenever she hears about this lion. She says, Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. That you will, dearie. Make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe? asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that is our Jesus. He is holy. He is fierce. But he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor. And I hope the Bible makes more sense to you after this episode.